Hello and welcome back to the latest Think Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. Cork native Robert Fenton's decision to move his Dublin tech startup Qualio to San Francisco was pivotal in the company's acceleration and more than 260% year-on-year average revenue growth. Back to the tune of $50 million by Tiger Global, Fenton reflects on how the company has grown to more than 300 customers across the globe, spanning the medical device, pharmaceutical and biotech industries. Uh, you're very, very, very welcome, Robert. How, how's life been in San Francisco? Um, well, good, good to chat with you, John. L- life has been good here. It's been a busy few years, um, as as you're probably aware. But yeah, um, enjoying things. Um, yeah, I'd like to, for for the sake of uh, people understanding, mm. uh, you know, Robert Fenton and Qualio. To, you know, Qualio, yeah. Qualio is now. You know, mo- you're mostly operating out of San Francisco. I know. I know one of the virtues of the company is that it's mostly a remote company as well. Um, but it began in Cork. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, well, I'm from Cork, but it, it began in, in Dublin, I guess, to be you know geog- geographically uh, accurate. Yeah. So about 10 years ago, um, I started Qualio f- from Dublin based on my experience working um, as a pharmacist and particularly with my experience working in some of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies where it w- became apparent that that these companies you know made, made a promise of of quality which is very similar to the promise a doctor makes which is you know, at first to do no harm and that the tools and systems and ways they had to actually demonstrate the products they were building were, were safe and effective were were archaic and really holding the the industry back and you know when you, when you think about the all the products we put in and on our bodies to protect, improve, and look after our health. That's something that we we all pretty much take for granted, or at least that we hope we can take that promise for for granted. So that that was like the insight behind the the starting of the company. Um, ran it from Ireland for the first four to five years, then moved over here to San Francisco, and it's become home for me here since. And in, in that time, I think. Since the last time we spoke, you now we're now at like over 500 global customers and um, over 200 uh, qualians, as uh, what we call our teammates all over the world, with over 30 of those in in Ireland right now, and of course continuing to recruit and build out our team in Ireland. And yes, we're we are a a, a fully um, <clears throat> distributed all all remote company, and we did that pre COVID, so we were it's like we got a year's head start to figuring out how to work from from home or from remote offices around the world. Uh, what was it that prompted you to to say move lock, stock, and barrel yourself um, to to San Francisco? So Enterprise Ireland had this program called um, Access Silicon Valley, where every year they would take a dozen or so of what they considered, you know, high potential Irish-based companies to go to California, to the Bay Area, and meet with potential investors, customers, partners, advisors, just to help kind of broaden the horizons. And you know, we're very good at exporting. We're very good at looking outward in Ireland. So this felt like this is a really good um activity just to help these companies become more successful. And when I came over here, I just really liked the business climate and I, I liked the people. And I felt that look starting a starting a company that you believe can be a, a global company of of consequence that that's around for a long time is a very, very difficult thing to do with on the face of it a very, very low odds of success at the beginning. So I, I made the call of well, why not be in what at the time was still the best place in the world to do that. I said, why not do that then? So I felt like that was a pretty easy way for me to slightly de-risk what what I am doing and also set our company up for the greatest long-term success. So it felt like a really easy decision 
for me at, at the time. And uh, like until COVID, I was back and forth all the time anyway. So I never really felt that far away from home. And for the sake of our listeners, um, can you tell me what, how it is Qualio does what it does and, and what it does for, for life sciences organizations? The simplest way to think about what we do is that, first of all, when we build our, our, it's our software company, obviously when we build our, our software products, the the focus of everything we build is to make it easier for teams in medical devices, pharma, biotech to bring their products into the marketplace and then scale them successfully. And we do that in two primary ways. The, the first way is to take the complicated um, industry regulations and, and practices and processes they must follow and create a really, really simple, easy way for companies to follow along with those guidelines and make sure they're adhering to the regulations that exist. And the second thing we do is, if you think about this act of quality of, of proving your products are safe and effective, there is an enormous amount of information from different parts of the business, different teams, different systems that you use. We provide a single place to aggregate all of that information so that you can spot problems earlier, you can spot opportunities earlier. And ultimately, when it comes to that device you might pick up from your pharmacy later on, you know, device number 1 million works just like device number one. And that's easy to say, hard to do. And our software is there to try and solve for that as well. So between both those things, we uh, we help our customers launch and scale products. And, you know, in, I mean, all of this is probably done through the cloud now, is this, that, that this, this, it's, and that also lends into the whole distributed nature of your business? Yes, it, it is. All, all that works. All that works again. Uh, we're, we're Based, um, you know, all hosted in AWS, like a lot of companies are today, um, with with access points, you know, um, all, all over the world, so that no matter where our customers are, they have very low latency. There's there's no delays using the products and services, and our engineering and product teams as well are distributed across many different time zones to make sure that our customers have, you know, as close as possible to twenty four seven support. And again, our products, if 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 our promise to our customers is we can help you deliver safe and effective products, well, we have to be behind that with a product that they can trust and that will be there for them. And um, it, that reminds me of something as well that we, we, we've run some, some surveys and spoke with a lot of our customers and did some broader market surveys recently. And we're, we're talking about this idea of, well, our customers have to prove that their products are safe and effective to get into the market. One of the things we've learned with some of the, the work we've been doing is that, well, yeah, there's the regulatory reason why you have to do all of that. But one of the really interesting things we've we've seen over the past few years is that even as consumers now, and I'm not sure if COVID was part of this, but as consumers now, we're all paying more attention than ever before to this idea of, is this drug, this vaccine, this whatever it is I'm taking, is this actually safe to put in and on my body or even on mine, uh, on my kids? So like if you think about going on, on vacation, right? Whether it's the sunscreen you, you put in the bag to put on your kids, it could be the, the cholesterol medication or the COVID test. We just, we need all these things to work. And it's already heightened, um, I would call um, attention being paid to that by all of us. And I think that means the cost of getting this wrong for our customers is, is enormous because the the brand itself might never recover if if they get it wrong. So I think it's a really interesting time 
and, and companies are, are are putting a lot of lot of effort into making sure they get this right. So, so your timing is is very good, and and you've raised last year fortuitous, fortuitous. Like last year, you raised fifty million, which brought your funding to about sixty three million so far. Yeah. Would you Would you think if you stayed in Dublin, would you raise that that similar amount of funding, or was that was basically San Francisco the right place to be to to to, to get to that level? So I, I would never be somebody to do like a like a, a versus type type trade off because it's it's impossible to know, you know, what we would be like if if I didn't you know move out of Dublin and, and go to San Francisco. I can tell you it definitely wouldn't have been easier. You know that, that's kind of all I can say with with a high degree of degree of confidence because it just relates to the size of the capital pools and, and again there's no value judgments made. There is. Um, if you look at the relative amount, I can't remember what the, the detail is of funds investing in Irish companies or who pay enough attention to Irish companies, just the amount of capital available is much smaller. So by, by definition, it's it's more difficult. Now, that I think the playing field has been leveling to a degree <clears throat> over the past while, but there still is a... There still is a discrepancy where you know there is more capital available to companies in in the Bay Area, and whether that's fair or not, or or, or is that really the case as much as it was five years ago? It's kind of I I don't really know as somebody who's been here for for a while now, but I do speak to my my some of my peers in Ireland, and it it, it still doesn't seem to there still doesn't seem to be the same access, which is kind of like oxygen for companies to to grow, and it's one of those things that's slightly an intractable problem because it's. Just like there's more career opportunities in large urban metros, right? We all know that there's also more capital available for technology companies in the the world's highest concentration of technology companies. It's kind of one of those things that just exists and you can't really replicate it. And, and like what we're, if you read, like watching all the headlines lately from around the world, from around the, you know, looking at what's going on in the world of tech at the moment, uh, you'd think at first it's almost a repeat of, you know, the dot com crash of two thousand. If you read the headlines, but it's, I I think it's something more subtle than that. Um, is, is are you seeing a change in sentiment over there? Is is like this? They call it the tech wreck, or or you know that that the hire the hiring goals of a lot of companies is, are being cut back. Um, what what do you think is causing that? And and, and you know I think because you're in the sweet spot of life sciences and tech, you're kind of probably shielded from the general uh, sentiment. You you because you because you because you, you straddle both markets. Yeah, um, you know I I don't pay a lot of attention to some of those kind of headlines. Like yes, there there was a, a an abundance, and now there's. Um, less abundance and, and people there's like a tick tock there's like a, a back and forth as people kind of sprint and then and, and then recalibrate and sprint again i think that's normal business cycle behavior i don't read a whole lot <clears throat> i mean a whole, a whole a whole lot um into that really i mean companies all the companies i know are still um growing we're, we're still growing very well i mean we're we're up almost 700 percent from in the last three years in terms of our growth we've um, I think we've we've grown our headcount internationally and in Ireland by over fifty percent over the last year. Um, we've just brought on two really senior people onto the team, um, Mike Stone, who's come on as CMO. We've launched a ton, a lot of new product things around, like new suppliers around, um, you know, productized services to help our customers as well. So I, I just see that the reality is that good companies are still doing the work that they need to succeed and. There will be noise around that, and there'll be some companies who won't be in a good position. But that's—I don't see that as very different to 
I see that as more of a news cycle and business cycle um, <clears throat> rather than any of the inherent, what would I call the inherent value in companies. And in terms of yourselves, I mean, what, what's ne- what's next for Qualio? Because you, you raise a significant amount of capital. You, you've, uh, like last year, we were talking about 250 customers. You just now mentioned 500 customers. So <laughs> things, yeah. things are obviously going very well. What, what, what's the future yeah. hold in terms of product development <clears throat> and the kind of opportunities sure. you see for the company? There, there's a few things that we're spending a lot of time on right now. Clearly, I'm continuing to try and hire more really great people who can help us move faster and like see further along the horizon. Like, what's what's coming down the track for us as we grow? Um, the things that we're thinking about, particularly from a product perspective, right now, are the there's there's this pervasive view in the industry that's part i understand why it's come about but people expect to trade off speed for safety it's this well we can't move that quickly because safety matters and yes safety matters but i think it's a false equivalence to to go well we can't move quickly then so we're really trying to spend a lot more time and effort on how do we help people embrace both that speed and that pursuit of products that are safe and effective and a few of the things we're working on is uh, for, for the first time ever in the industry being able to um, deploy software at a really high velocity into a regulated space and automatically generate lots of the information they need to prove to regulators that that's okay. So again, trying to maximize the velocity, we can move our software into our customers' hands and then teach our customers how they can do the same. We're spending a lot of time working on new editing and collaboration features um, so that our customers are able to, again, spend more time um, what really matters and less time just in administration. And the last part is the whole idea of speed. I spoke about this idea at the beginning of what, what does Qualio do? We want to unify and get, bring this like single pane of glass to see all these different activities and all these data streams that impact the product safety and quality. Integrations are a really big part of our, our future. And we've just launched ones with things like Salesforce. We're working with uh, data integrations with NetSuite right now. So we're really working to, again, minimize minimize the data fragmentation that really holds our customers back because it's the more places you have to look for really important information. And when a, when a person is manually stitching it together, not only is it slow, it's not very interesting work for the person to do. And quite often they're leaving the, the risk of them actually missing something really important is really high. And we see our, our goal is to make it such that people don't miss because we're doing that manual work. We're doing that, what could be laborious, but really important work automatically behind the scenes. And then the person's just able to see it all together. So th- there are just a few of the areas that we're, we're working on right now. Yeah, I, I was thinking there, like, I mean, you know, when you look at it, it's a development of a drug or bring it to market and they have to meet FDA rules and God knows how many rules around the world. Uh, so what I get the sense is you guys are doing the heavy lifting so they don't have to because they're so they can focus on the product development. It's probably a very crude way of putting it. But at the yeah, same it, time... It's a good way to think about it. But at the same time, you know, it take, it must take a lot of bravery to say, well, we'll, we'll, we'll if you're talking to, say, Pfizer or you're talking to any of those big, big, well-known brands um, that, that you're going to say, well, we're, we're going to create the kind of filter to which you will come out the other side of that filter with a very safe product because we're we're doing all the checks and balances and we're putting in place the you know the mechanisms by which you can meet all those standards that that, that take, must take a lot of uh i suppose bravery on one hand but a, a serious about the rigor right yeah, the rigor piece is, is interesting, man. And and as we become more sophisticated, we're putting more and more effort and time behind that rigor piece because the the burden on us to, you know, be 
a credible partner goes up and up. And I, we, we have a lot of things we're doing to continue to double down on that one. On, on the first piece on the, you know, we, we let's call it bravery because I appreciate the sentiment. Um, I mean, more think that a lot of what they do is is in our mind when you work with the companies a lot you'll 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 realize that a lot of what to do is, is similar across a lot of companies and within that there's there is a lot of opportunity to actually just listen to what where they're stuck and frustrated and try and build feature sets that will unblock those so that they can do the really hard work which is build a safe effective product the hard it's like the science um that they, they, we want them to do that we want them to figure out the what are the indications uh that run their clinical trials, et cetera, but without getting stuck in a million spreadsheets or in, in, you know, a million different data sources. So I think when you dig into it, it's, it starts to reveal itself pretty clearly, but you have to actually be interested in, in digging in and diving in with, with customers to understand that. And of course, parse back the, the, what's required from a regulatory perspective. But again, thankfully, globally, there's what we call harmonization happening quite a lot. So it's not, as disparate as I might think in terms of passing audits by the FDA or, and then also being able to pass audits by you know, European medicine, like from European bodies and things like that. A very, another crude metaphor came to mind and I was thinking of it as like Feng Shui. It's like, if you're looking into a very messy room, you can't think very clearly, but if you have everything organized and put in the right place, you can think clearly. Is, 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 a, bit, is a bit like that, that you kind of help organize the process or the thoughts? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure I'm qualified for that kind of interior design work. But yes, it's with, with a, a lot of business problems. John can be abstract, can be kind of brought back to something like that. And I think that we're solving one of those business problems where we're trying to create some order from a lot of chaos. But the 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 damage created by the chaos is is pretty astronomical. Like I won't talk about some of the you know the public. Um, well-known issues where there have been failures here and the impacts that's had and it's one of those things that when it works you don't think about it mm, very I think true those, those all times where we use products or people we know who are waiting for products to get approved that that are really important mm. and if you can just shave a small bit of time off of that then i think we've you know all the time and effort that we've spent is very much worthwhile very good. And and looking at the future, I mean, or not the future, but the present is really a, a lot of companies that you've seen, you've seen there a lot of companies are also bringing people back into the office. Now, you guys, as, as you said, you, you, you make a virtue out of being a distributed company, uh, but you're seeing things like Apple reinstalling the three, at, at, at least starting with a three-day week. Um, Tesla's, uh, Elon Musk is saying, uh, saying everyone come in, must come back, whether, whether, whether they're ready for them or not. Um, did you see yourselves ever having or being under pressure to ever change how you do things? Do you ever think you'll set up Mary Me more of physical presence? Or do you think, you know, we've, we've got it down to a T? And if you have got it down to a T in terms of how you manage yourself, so what, what is it that you do particularly well to keep a distributed workforce uh, functioning well? Um, you know, that's a really tough question to answer as a soundbite. Uh, at the end, end, of, end of our call, John, uh, I, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll say it pretty clearly that I, I think that the hybrid playbook for like knowledge work and collaboration sounds like a easy solution but just purely from my anecdotal experience from people i know i i believe it seems like the most complicated most most expensive most fraught with challenges possible way to try and organize people together um because you kind of get the worst of both worlds and the best of none mm. <clears throat> that's a lot of what I've been hearing just again, literally first person anecdotally from people I know who are either employees or in leadership and companies doing that. Um, in terms of us and our our system working, I mean, 
you don't need to sit around in four walls to collaborate on things. You don't need to to do that. In fact, most of the time you see people spending time in offices are trying to find cubicles and rooms to hide in. And there's there's a lot of value in having people together. And, and I will be the first to say bringing people together at right cadence is is, is essential and for most people to feel bought in and to have shared purpose and meaning and be able to really contribute. But I, I, th- I think that we've all learned in the last two years that there was incredible amounts of productivity and value created in companies of people who didn't see each other at all. And that was during the worst possible incarnation of remote work. It was the most past stress. Like, like you couldn't imagine a worse situation. You can't, some people can't leave their, go outside. Entire families are on top of each other. None of the activities or escape valves exist. And yet still people were incredibly productive and created a lot of value and a lot of amazing things happened in that time. So in the normal cadence, we have all those escape valves. Your kids can go to school. You can probably go on vacation. You can probably go play you know, whatever tennis or, or, or go swimming or just go for a run with your friends or go to, go to the bar on a Friday night if that's what you want to do right so now we're getting back to a world that you have all of these activities that create that social interaction that we all desperately crave so i I think it's um i think last year's proven remote works um i think the hybrid thing is really a big question mark um but it seems like things are never going to go back the way they were just probably a great thing and i say this a lot to people as to why i did what what are some of the reasons why we, we decided to Try this as an experiment early 2019 and then adopt that as uh, the way forward for us was that, you know, it's uh, too many of us have to choose between having a rewarding career and being near our families. Like anyone from small town Ireland had to make that decision. Every single person from small town Ireland has to choose between being where you're from or being somewhere really well paid and have a rewarding career and all those other things. And that having to make that choice, I think, is is actually a, it's a cruel thing that modern society has done and it's unnecessary. And I think like this last couple of years has actually for the is one of the most important things we can ever do to save smaller towns and allow families to remain more intact and also allow people to get that upwards mobility that they want. So I think it's an enormously positive thing. And I, I, I like living in Dublin so as well. So I'm, I, I'm a city person myself, but I think not everybody is. Very good. With that, Robert, listen, thank you so much for your time. That was, that was fantastic. And uh, I, I, I look forward to talk to you again. Thank you. I appreciate it, John. Thank you so much.